crazy, disruptive, explicit. We say it like it is. Real world sales and marketing. Real stories from the road. Yeah, it's the real shit. This, this is the Recapic Podcast. Whoa, going back fireside now. Yeah. Hello, crickets. It's nice to hear you again. Yeah, going with the cricket, the relaxing crickets and the fire-free fireside I don't know if I've ever actually seen a fire in your fire pit now that I'm thinking about it. Hmm. No, we've had them. I just well, I can don't see usually that there's been some burn marks on there, but I've never yeah. seen a real fire in there. Sometimes we do. I don't, not usually when there's electric cords around it. Coward. But, yeah. Kind of chickens like that. Yeah. Fill it full we, have of water. A, we have a really good show tonight. Uh, it's, it's this, this is raising the bar again. We continue to do this, especially after last episode was just us. <laughs> well, it was, yeah. Uh, well, Heather, it's was, like, Heather was amazing. It's kind of like a change-up in baseball, right? Right. Right. Yeah. right. Now we're bringing the heater. Yeah, bringing them in strong. We have uh, somebody that I consider probably probably the smartest guy I know, honestly. And, and I'm pretty sure there will be some piping off of some of the listeners about that. He's up there. Uh, they'll, tune, they'll tune in a little bit. He's got to make up for his, yeah, I don't know if I'd say good looks. Right. But I'm pretty, pretty smart guy, so this ought to be a pretty good one, but... Uh, we also we have a singer, songwriter, and artist. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> vice president, CFO, uh, tight end, defensive end. Tight end's always open, Trevor. Yep, <laughs> always. Wow, best athletes on the field, hands down. We have Mr. Rusty Wentz. <sighs> That's where you cue the applause. Sorry. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Oh, hold on. Hold on a second. Mr. Was, Rusty Wentz. I was on the wrong page. <laughs> Woo! See, was that good? That was better. You feel you feel cooler now. I feel extremely cool. Like yeah, I said, tight ends always open. So. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do the first time on your tight end joke. You missed it. Yeah. So, Rusty, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, I am the vice president and chief financial officer for Stein Distributing which is the Anheuser-Busch wholesaler for Southwest Idaho, Central Idaho. Uh, I've been doing that for about 15 years now. I also oversee about 600 acres of orchard land in uh, Washington that the Stein family owns as well. I didn't know that. Yeah. Orchard land? Yes. Wow. Just when I think you couldn't get any cooler. (laughs) It's... (laughs) It's uh, we have pretty diverse orchards over there. What do you grow? So we grow apples, pears, cherries, uh, some stone fruits, not a whole lot. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's our main forte. We got like I said, we got about six hundred acres over there, and really been converting things over to organic. That's kind of it's kind of that's a, where the money is. Kind of a thing right now. Yeah, that so. is an interesting and uh, a very interesting segue into the topic tonight. The reason I wanted to get you here was the adapting to the market you're adapting you guys adapt to the market so when i i think of it in my building industry i'm dealing with the adapt adaptation of the market because the lumber prices are going through the roof we've talked about it a couple times but it's it continues to go through the roof which means people are looking at alternative building products you guys when i started thinking about this topic it was a no-brainer to have you on because budweiser anheuser-busch 
is the red and white can, man. They're the Clydesdales. They are beer. It is the beer company of all beer companies. But what I'm watching you do, and I, you and I have had this conversation uh, before, but you guys are adapting into, like, everyone knows there ain't no law when you're on the claw, right? The, the white claw, the Trulies, all these things, right? So they kind of came into this whole thing with the, the seltzer, you know, beverage market or whatever you guys call it probably. But now all of a sudden Budweiser, who, you know, instead of just sticking to your guns and being like, nope, we make beer, we're Budweiser, we make beer, red, white can beer. You guys literally adapt to the market and you're you're coming out with all these different options and stuff. So, I mean, how's that going for well, you? Well, okay, Anheuser-Busch, I think, you know, adaptability is very important in any business you're in. They've been adapting to the market for decades. Wow. You know, you, you go back and look um, in 1956 when Keith Stein bought or, you know, founded Stein Distributing. I think they had six packages total <laughs> is all they had. I uh, currently have over 500 brands and about 1,500 different packages now. That's it. So it's a good increase. Yeah. So they've been doing it for a long time. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you can go back to the early 80s when Bud Light came out. Yeah. And people were trying to, hey, you know, the, is beer hey, fatty. packing on some weight? <laughs> yeah, I need, I need something light here. They call so it they've a been beer innovating belly. a long time. They've been innovating a long time. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, they're ahead of the trend. Sometimes they're behind the trend. But, um, yeah, it's important that you are able to move and see what the consumer wants and get a product out there that, oh, that they're yeah. going to want. Because know thy customer. The, you know, especially in the retail industry, it's, it's dog eat dog. Oh, yeah. It is tough. And shelf space is hard to come by. And there's not a lot. And, and I think it's see, harder now by far. Absolutely. Like in the last five years. Stores are bigger and it's harder to get shelf space. Figure that one out. Yeah. Weird. And so, well, you've got hundreds of new, you know, yeah. uh, craft, beers. craft beers that have come out. And now you've got all these niche, different types of alcohol that mm. you're seeing. Whether, you know, it kind of started, you know, a little bit, I think, you know, with, with what we call FMBs or flavored malt beverages, you know, your Zimas. Things like oh, that. that we Zima. Familiar. Good old Zima. That takes and, you back to high school. Yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> you know, and now, you know. We, Ice. You see I mean, after, your, I mean, college, I was 21. Yeah, you see that now, you My know, we've got the, the limeritas, you know, chiladas, oh, yeah. things like that. Yeah. And now Great the breakfast one, drink, by the way. Great the breakfast drink. is the seltzer that's yeah. come out. And so, you know, it's important. White Claw obviously got a huge head start on everybody. Yeah. And so they got a lot of the shelf space. So when you bring out a, a, an item to, to compete with that, it's real difficult to get it, first of all, into the stores. So you better make sure it's, it's a good, high-quality product mm -hmm. and um, that you've got a, you know, at least in our, our industry, uh, a means to get it on the shelf and get it serviced the way it needs to be done. Or else, or else you're just spinning your wheels, so... It's they they've been innovating through this and and now the new things I mean they're coming out with new seltzers the next thing you're going to see come out is going to be liquor based seltzers so like a vodka seltzer now you see the vodka mm. sodas mm. I have yeah I have that's the, I drank a vodka vodka mm. seltzer last week they brought it in to test yeah I I could not believe there was alcohol in it really it, it tasted that's bad 
like flavored water. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, I was like, I this is dangerous. <laughs> Do they so back to the the you've seen some of these trends come through, right? And some of the different flavored stuff come through. Do you think that it's just due to good marketing that it seems like this white claw or these seltzer. What do you guys call your seltzers? So I'm not plugging them the whole time. What's the Bud Light? Well, we seltzer? have Bud Light seltzer. Bud Light seltzer. And we have we and we have five or six different lines. If we have Social Club seltzer, you know we've got Bud Light seltzer. You've seen the Natty Light seltzer. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. Dude, they killed it this summer. Yeah, with that. and you know, and now Coors. You've seen Coors now. I don't know if you've seen the Coors mm. Light seltzer that's now Mm-mm. come out. So mm. everybody's saying, hey, this is a this is a growing um, niche in the alcohol industry, and it's not a fad. Do you no. think it's the Do you think it's the biggest one you've seen? Do you think it's you're a numbers guy from a numbers yes, standpoint? It's is the, this the biggest spike that you've seen out of a? It is the biggest, fad, most disruptive fad I've seen in 15 years. What was yeah. the interesting thing to see at GFY this year? Yeah. So you have a golf tournament with what do we have 45 guys over there. Yeah, this and it, year, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a bunch 48. of dudes, right? The amount Men's, of, man. I mean, the like. The amount of white cloth. Insane. And it was funny because there was a few guys that were like, are you kidding me? You're drinking. Are you, come on. And the next night, they're. They're drinking it. <laughs> they're boning up to one. Yeah, and I, I think that was, and then we saw a lot of the Natty, you know, the yep. Natty Seltzer was big there. Like, you know, you're, that's what I am. <laughs> Going back to our whole scamdemic talk from before we were on air, I I make my decisions based upon what I see and what I experience in my own life, right? I can tell you from my own experience, I know a lot of my friends that drink it, like they drink mm-hmm. the seltzers, right? Like I've never mm-hmm. seen, I've been drinking with the same guys. Shocking. No. So, so, yeah, since I was. <laughs> We'll call out Swanee. Uh, call Swanee, Darren. Uh, these guys that we know listen and drink seltzers. And uh, anyways, they. I think that you. We've seen. I mean, these are guys I've I've known my whole life. We've all known our whole life, and we literally have watched them. You know, they've been beer drinking guys their whole life, natty light. You know, kind of guys. And now all of a sudden they make that switch to it. So I think to me that's what made it feel like it was a real trend right like i mean i don't know anyone that got locked in on zimas and i can say yeah 20 years later they're just pounding the zimas still it doesn't really Zima. happen yeah, right? no i i'll be honest i thought it was a fad when it first came out uh, but i was just in some meetings this week and it's already captured 10 the 10 share of the wow. beer slash seltzer you know that it's taken 10 percent of the market away from beer. that's a ton and that is a ton yeah in a relatively short within what amount of time Two years, couple of years, Probably a couple, couple of years. But that's but that's the beauty of what you guys are doing, though. You you also see that, and you're like, instead of somebody going, oh, well, I guess we're just going to lose ten, you know, we're just going to lose this money to the seltzer people. You're like, no, we're going to go make a better seltzer. We're going to make a seltzer. We're going to brand Our, ours it. Ours is better too, by the way. It is, yeah, I'm sure. I'll do Absolutely. some taste testing. But I I think too, and I mean, this goes back to marketing, which nobody, I mean, honestly, there's not many people out there, Mister Marketing Guy, that All you right. can tell me that do it better than Budweiser. Well, they, you know, do, they do. They do. Anheuser Busch well. is the top of the top when marketing, right? Well, they yeah, they're market lead, and they probably they've, they've have been some of the most one loyal. in the Super Bowl. I mean, when right. the, the rankings come out. Anheuser Busch is always at the top. Boom, and but they hire the best agencies to do their work. The best. They spend the money, which when you're market lead, you get the opportunity to do that. Well, but they do a great job of of keeping it. And they like and to, to Rusty's point. They're always looking to to innovate and to be making sure that they're doing things right even if they're a little bit behind they're still they're 
they have the ability to play catch up and to get a little bit ahead. Yeah, they, they have the not, economy. Yeah, not sure. not that many companies. But they do. have the and they have the foresight. This is what I like about them. So now bring my boy Gary V back into this. We talk. I plug Gary V all the time. Gary Vaynerchuk. Gary V. Go check him out. He's the shit. You love he, him. He he. Anheuser Busch hired him and let him. He was a small in the in the grand scheme of advertising agencies. Vayner Media is a very small player right? right they took gary v who's a very edgy on the edge you know guy and they saw the they let him make a, a commercial and he did the harry carey for the world series they did the harry carey budweiser commercial mm-hmm. which was super like i mean it just got i mean it was rave won awards and all this shit that was going out on a limb to do something like that you know for budweiser to go out and do that that kind of thing and they had it queued up so in case they won Here's Harry Carey watching this, you know, the announcing the World Series, blah blah. Really cool concept, but they've always been that kind of ahead of the, 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 you know, right. the well, market. and that's that's all you see. You're not seeing the 50 different ideas that are still on the floor, or that never even make it to the pitch room. I mean, that from a marketing standpoint, you'd be stunned at the amount of stuff that no, never ever sees the light of day. That's good. But what you know, I mean. Go back, and to- that's just marketing. Think about the products that <laughs> oh, yeah. never made it into the market. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But that that goes back to you didn't become the market lead by sitting on your hands, right? Right. You you're constantly innovating stuff, and and I would argue that there's probably guys that are within the Anheuser Busch, <laughs> the grand scheme of things that that were chirping away saying, "Hey guys, we need to get on this Seltzer thing because it's coming." There were probably people that were ringing that bell within the organization. But again, it's a it's a big company and they're they're going to do all the math, they're going to poke holes and everything and make sure that it makes sense. And then put the money where it needs to be put when it needs to be put. Yeah, figure I mean, it out. They're going to they're I know as a Bush InBev is one of the largest consumer products companies in the world. Right. I think it's the largest beverage company think, in the entire world. I think it is. At this point, they've bought everything. And yeah. so, you know, kind of sticking with you know, the theme a little bit, you know, their ability to adapt and move with the industry trends is kind of unparalleled. Now, obviously, for, especially for have, that big. They're, they're, That's what's crazy. They're not a jet boat. They're a friggin' cruise ship, and they make those turns like that. Yes, but again, they're able to, I mean, obviously they have, you know, a lot of money at their disposal. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of infrastructure at their disposal. When the craft industry was kicking our ass and, and killing Bud, Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. You know, we created some crafts. And then Anderson Bush said, well, let's just go buy some. Yep. And oh, then the ten we're going to – And Tin Barrel. And now what they do with Tin Barrel, they see this diversification in the, in the industry of going to flavored beverages, consumer wanting new things. And what did Tin Barrel do? With Anheuser Bush, they created the Tin Barrel canned Cocktails. Yep. Your right. Bloody Mary. Right. And they're your good. Your vodka meals. And they are fantastic. They're really yeah. good. And now that's kind of created a new niche that you're seeing. We just brought on a new a new brand, uh, Cutwater Spirits. Oh, yeah. And they're fantastic. Yeah, they're how, really did, how do they so, do that? I, I, I mean, yeah, it's off the subject, but. No, it's not. How, how do you get, how do you, how are they, because that's alcohol, right? Like, I mean, like how, like, how do you get a mixed drink into a can, or, or how do you vary it to make it to where you can sell it somewhere that doesn't have a liquor license? Magic elves. You keep it under 16% alcohol. It's just a percentage thing. Just math, baby. Just, yep. Okay. 
Because, like, I mean, now that's what that's what opens it, right? So now you're distributing to a place that doesn't have a liquor, like, or or can sell in different hours. Doesn't have to be in the state liquor store here in the state of Idaho, which that's is right. how it is. So now all of a sudden, that's something that normally would have been distributed, you know, through the state liquor association or whatever. Liquor now you're, yeah. Now all of a sudden, you're opening it up so you can have it in the Jacksons, you can have it in the Albertsons, and all this, you know, Walmart and everything else. Absolutely, that's a huge business move for you guys. Yeah, you go to golf courses and they say, right. well, I'd, I'd like a Bloody Mary at my tea time's at eight and they say sorry yeah Bar's not open well yet. oh actually here how about just take this tin barrel because it's it's legal for me to sell you that yeah yeah there you go it there opens you. up or take two yeah take two oh go babe oh go <laughs> no i think it's amazing and it's it's it just shows the adaptability of, of somebody that and it, like i said the really impressive thing this is a massive massive ship that's turning on a dime you know that's doing that kind of stuff it would be interesting to be into some of those meetings and hear them talking about that. Because you know that they're not just waltzing into it. Yeah, let's try it. See what happens. Right. There's a lot of homework that's done. There's a lot of discussions. I mean, it, I think that would be fascinating to see where we might think it happened really, really fast. There may be other people that are like, oh, God, I've been, I've been trying to get my executive board to listen to me for blah, blah, blah. It would be fascinating to see all of the, the dominoes that, that had to fall in order to get to go from an idea and a concept to having something being distributed to stores and golf courses and, and stuff like that. But it's, again, it, it goes back to being smart and understanding the rules of the game to figure out some strategy to, to compete and to get a little bit of an edge. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, there are so many, if you go back to where I, I was talking about earlier, the, the number of brands and SKUs right. that we currently carry. Imagine the, the, the forecasting and the logistics oh that go behind now producing all of these different flavors and package types out of the dozen breweries we have in the United States. Right. Right. They are running the meeting I was on. It's a bunch of white labeling running, right there. They're running twenty four seven. Yeah, and and the the line switch outs just in the last five years have tripled. Oh, and I mean, God. wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> imagine the downtime that it takes, you know, to to swap out and say, well, we're going to use this line for Budweiser. Tomorrow we're making. Uh, you know, lime marita, right. raspberry <laughs> lime marita. So we got to change. We got to clean everything. Do all of that. You know, it, it's it's process. Man. So as as a financial guy, how are you looking at that in terms of your balance sheet of how much share Budweiser has lost? How do you how do you gain it back? Can you gain it back? Where do you? I you mean, care to everything care, is you know? everything is diversified so much. You still don't want to. I mean, you still want to invest in the horse that brung you you know what i mean but how do you look at that i mean how do you weigh all that stuff out because there's there's just an inevitability of you just when you're going to divide the pie that many times it just it's just math but what informs your decision making in terms of where you're going to put the the effort well i think in terms what you try to do is leverage your brand name love that name okay love that word so that's why you see all the offshoots of Budweiser or Bud Light. Yeah. Right. It's Bud Light Seltzer because we want the name right. Because it's branding. It's Dude, branding. Preach to me. Preach. So you want to leverage that. Your brand, whether whether it's Anheuser-Busch 
or it's innovative custom homes, whatever it is, you want to take your brand name and you right. want to leverage it as many ways as you possibly can. Right. Think about that. Here's what I, th- I picture. I was gonna. I thought about this while you're talking on that the uh, seltzer thing. Think of the loyalty that Budweiser has just in NASCAR. All right. If you're you know, and I, I don't. I haven't been up on NASCAR here this year, so I don't know who's Michael Jordan the, bought a NASCAR team. I didn't see that. I didn't. I don't know who drives the Budweiser car. Well, there's now. actually no Budweiser car now. It's a, it's Bush, and it's oh. Kevin, it's Kevin Harvick, the champion. Oh, the, soon, the to be, champion. Soon, soon to be soon to be champion. Okay, so you've got a, a. There's no more loyal fan base than NASCAR. I don't think maybe soccer. I don't know. Soccer people are pretty freaky, but they, but you got NASCAR guys, right? <laughs> no, NASCAR right. guy, NASCAR, you know, NASCAR Billy Bob is legit drinking Budweiser because he's a junior fan. You know, when junior driving the, you know, but you know, Budweiser, I'm drinking and he's drinking and I drive that and that's because he does that. That's how he does it. His wife goes to buy a white claw. He knocks it out of her hand and hands her a freaking Bud Budweiser. Seltzer, right? I love you. Because that, that is how loyal people are to the brand. So when you're building that brand and you come out with something different, there there's legit people who will, I, I want to drink a seltzer, but I'm pretty loyal to Budweiser. Oh, now Budweiser makes one? Okay, cool. Now I can drink this seltzer because it's a Budweiser seltzer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the power of that brand and what people bring to it when there's people that are that loyal to, a, you know, a brand. And, that, you know, you see people do it for you know, whatever, you know, the different things are, you know, but they'll, once a, a company comes out with something like that, you know, you see clothing companies that will come out with shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm loyal to that clothing company, so I buy those shoes now. I mean, my, your kids do it all the time. Yes, so, they do. And it's, it's interesting to see Budweiser do something. Like, I, I've got to believe I picture that happening, you know, where, yeah, there's no white claws in a Budweiser house kind of deal. They go to the Budweiser seltzers, you know, that, you know, makes it, anyway, that's what I was thinking, sorry. Well, I, th- <laughs> I had a vision there. I thought I thought it was great. Well, brand loyalty, I think, is what you're getting right, at. And right. it's and historically speaking, beer drinkers have been very brand loyal. Absolutely. Um that has changed a little bit in the last fifteen or twenty years with the the uh all the craft mm-hmm. that has come into the market. That that type of consumer is someone that's more willing to experiment. With different flavors. Right. And so, but again, you, you just, their business model, Anheuser-Busch or these other places, is just be able to adapt to whatever the new trend might be. Whether it's a hazy IPA, be ready to make a hazy IPA. Right. And make a good one. And make a good one. Adaptability is everything. Oh, yeah. Well, if you, you don't. You have to build your infrastructure to be able to move very quickly. And I have a very good parallel from our orchard operations, it's almost more. I can almost I can almost uh, uh, give you an example better from there, and that is the fruit industry is very volatile. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when we put in our our infrastructure for an orchard, it used to be back in the old day. Well, I'm going to plant this variety. And I'm going to plant it on a V trellis, and by God, that's all it's going to be here. Well, problem now is there's so many, there's a lot of apple varieties out there. And the consumer, their tastes change frequently. 
So if I've got an infrastructure built for one type of Apple that all of a sudden goes out of favor, well, now I've just spent all of my infrastructure money on something. I've got to totally redo it now because maybe this Apple doesn't go great on a V-Trellis or, you know. And it takes a hot second to regrow. What we're doing now, <laughs> yeah, and what we're doing now is we put in, basically we, we put the infrastructure in, so if I want to chop a tree down and graft it over three years later, mm-hmm. boom, I can, no problem. I don't got to mess with the trellis. I don't got to mess with the irrigation. I put everything 15 feet. I, I put it in 15-foot rows, you know, two or three-foot spacings between trees because really these trees are more like vines than they are trees, what you would think. Um, and it's on a straight wall trellis. Now, I've done that for two reasons. Number one, so that, yes, I can on the fly – adapt and change my variety very quickly takes three apples or excuse me three years for an apple to go from a baby tree to where it's producing fruit okay Hmm. so i can chop a tree down a foot off from the ground graft a new variety to it and in three years have a whole different apple from the same root stock that i had a previous apple from but I love Mother Nature. I put them now on so, wall trellises because so I don't smart. know what the variety is going to be necessarily five years down the road. But I know my infrastructure is good. Right. And I know I can run a platform up and down all these rows. I can, in the future, use robotics to come in and pick it. Now, we're not there yet, but I've planned for it. The infrastructure I've put in. I never have to replace it, but I have adaptability and I can move whenever change I need the fruit, to. Yeah. I can change it mm. in a heartbeat. I'm a little pivot. You talk about robotics. So today I got to tour the Amazon Fulfillment Center that they're building here. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. It is so cool to see. You talk about infrastructure. You talk about making things work and efficiencies and intentionality of design and all that stuff. <laughs> it was super impressive. But of just thinking through that stuff and what you're talking about, one of our big words, intentionality, making things efficient so that down the road it, it makes sense that I can swap it all out. Because if you don't build it that way to start, you don't have the adaptability five years from now. Right. You've got to build that infrastructure, and it has to be intentional and well thought out. I mean, that, I mean, and I think businesses are, I think, getting better and better at that because they have to. Because there's too many smart people out there doing stuff. If you're not <laughs> adaptable, you're, you're going to lose market share. Yeah, yeah, and somebody's going to take your spot. Right. So let's put that in, a, you know, I'm not a home builder, but let's put it in a construction, you know, frame of, mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. some sort. So if I'm an architect or, or something, you know, maybe I want to have some blueprints that are adaptable that can be very easily changed between lumber your concrete forms, you know, because I don't know what's going to be available and I don't know what the costs are going to be a year from now. Right. But I certainly don't want to have to go back to square one. Right. And start over with that whole process. I want to just be able to swap things out. Oh, and, and and that's a good point. Even just even more basic, not even taking in the, the product that we're using. Uh, Heather does it all the time where she'll have a floor plan that it's the same floor plan, but this room can be, an office or it can have put a closet in it. Now it's a bedroom or this could be a workout room or this garage has a third bay that we put a bigger door on. Now it's an RV garage, but it's the same plan. And you won't, you want to be able to mix like it because, you know, you sit there and listen to, you know, 
all of a sudden you'll have a client walk in. The client says, yeah, we're, uh, you know, empty nesters. We want a four-bedroom house, but we really don't care if it's got four bedrooms, four bath, and four clot. We want one room to be a workout room for my wife, and I want one room to be my office. Like, having the ability to just go right to a plan, because the, the, the sheer time it takes to draw a blueprint and the expense to draw a, a new blueprint for every single person you know, when you're drawing a blueprint, you want that thing to be as adaptable as possible. You want to be able to say, okay, this can be a two-car garage or a three-car or a four-car. This could be this house. If we put this little extra one more, you know, two more trusses on it, now we've got a bonus room out here. And now we or we, we put a bonus truss and make this a two-story versus a single-story. You know, like that adaptability saves you time and money. And that's what I think a, a big thing that people in business, if you're listening to this and you're creating a business and you're you're, you're trying to line yourself out, have the foresight to think ahead of, of, you know, dream a little dream kind of deal. You, you, if you Aww, think how you're going to be, you know, what's precious. this going to be like? Thank you. I like that. Nobody <laughs> says precious to me very often. Uh, well, I just did. That was precious. You know what? I dream Probably because I say fuck too much. Well, you do have to offset. Yeah. Your fuck usage for yep. sure. But they, and I think that's the first time I said it today. Yeah. You waited a long time last podcast. I think so. Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm getting real Real clean. Yeah, you're mature. Real clean. But no, I think uh, you know having a business. The the key to success is is seeing that you you can be adaptable. And if you're somebody that's in a big business like an, an Anheuser Busch and you're working right. there, you know have the foresight to realize that hey, just because you're big business doesn't mean you can't be adaptable. You know, I mean, there's I, God, we we run into that selling a building product to builders. I literally have builders will say we're just too big to change. <laughs> I've heard that. That Hold means they're that means they're gonna die. Right. I'm like, what? The? You either change. <laughs> they're gonna die. I'm like, someone's gonna kick your ass. Like yeah. literally. Like I watch and I watch it happen. I watch Heather go into a subdivision and she'll put a house down the street from somebody. And they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna do that shit. That's crazy. And then she sells it for full cash asking in three days. And they go, huh? Well. Maybe I should look at that now. And it's like, you know, and it, it's too late, man. That house is sold. You just missed a, a buyer, you know. So having that ability to 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 make those changes, you know, and, and I think ahead that you're you're gonna be flexible, keeping your mind open to stuff is is a huge deal. But that I that you're nailing it though. It is it doesn't happen by accident. The intentionality involved with that, and frankly, for the Anheuser Busch, it's it's hiring a good team that all understands that. Just you have to be intentional, intentional about planning and moving forward. Would not, you know, I mean, it's like football, right? You're not going to go tackle the guy where he is. You're going to go tackle the guy where he will be. Right. You're going to find that line, and it takes intentionality and understanding. Unless he's a tight end, and you're not going to tackle him because they're the best athletes on the field. Right. Well, pretty much. But, but good. The football thing is a great analogy, I think, because you know, in any business, you have to start with a good foundation, right? You're blocking and tackling your basic right. play. Okay, am I going to run a, 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 a spread offense or am I going to run a power offense? What's it going to be? That's fine. But from that, I've got to be able to, you know, change things up fairly quickly, but I've still got my base. I know right. I know who I am, but I'm able to change when I, when it's needed. Right. Or somebody gets injured. Like in football, that's a big thing, right? right. Like, I mean, you got an offense that's built around a running back, and your running back goes down. 
you got to adapt to that situation. All what of a sudden, mean? guess what? Christian McCaffrey, why? Right. why? <laughs> High ankle sprain, no. You're, you're literally going to have to change your offense when a Christian Pick McCaffrey is. Mike Davis. <laughs> just like insane like i mean those things happen you have to be i mean in, in everything you got to be able to adapt you know we, we talk about the pivot all the time just right. another word uh to make ding, it ding, ding, ding. hey where are our bingo cards boss lady where i thought you had this done uh, that's all right she's building houses she's busy you've been busy i'll give you a pass i'll give you a I did help you on Sunday. Yeah, she was out the job site all day Sunday, so and yeah. we actually went and helped her finish yeah. it up after yeah, we worked hard after our golf round. <laughs> yeah, I slept pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I slept well. A little stoved up, a little stoved up on Monday, but yeah, that's pretty good. But in today's environment, take ex- perfect the COVID yeah. scam demic. The scam demic. Oh, here we go. You don't know. Hold on a second. What's going? Wait a second. The COVID. Go ahead. Scamdemic. <laughs> but you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. Hell, we don't know what's going to happen next week no. right now. Okay? The True rules that. keep changing. True that. And in business, you don't know what's going to happen six months, a year down the road. So, again. Do you think you that that has made businesses sharper in terms of adaptability absolutely i'll tell you i think one thing at least in my industry in the retail sector yeah what it has shown us is there's a lot of business that's done that's unprofitable (laughs) yeah and recognizing that and making changes to your business model to say you know i did things this way for a long time because it was i just figured out i'm losing a lot of money it wasn't some of this it wasn't obviously broken until you i mean i talk a lot about comparative analysis where you don't know something until you understand the context of how it relates to something else right when i get the opportunity to have my entire staff work remotely and they're more productive and i'm not paying a shit ton of overhead and parking and all these different things and i can look at that and go huh does it change the way that I approach how I run things? It sure merits a conversation. Yes. So and there's we're seeing. I told we've talked about this on previous episodes, but like I average on average every month, I average somewhere between two to four thousand dollars a month in travel expenses. That's what I expense, you know, for my travel. The company is now figuring out. I'm having my best year I've ever had with this company. Um, my sales are higher than they've ever been this year during through covid and i'm not traveling so i so so look at the the company's selling more product than they've ever sold and they are saving at least three let's just average it to three three thousand dollars a month during covid per person and now what they're saying is yeah and and i'm one of 12 sales people or well i guess we're eight i think we're eight anyway so you might might need to get a crayon yeah i think i had this one up I was well, told I say there would be no math. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. It's coloring. And he's color the boxes. <laughs> but I mean, that to me, I'm I'm anxious to see because so I mean, being it's a Canadian company, they've shut us down for the rest of the year. Period. Actually, you're shut down. So so until like 2030. <laughs> so so it's like 21. Are they going to come back and go? Uh, yeah, well, travel's back on, but 
shit, you did pretty good without spending $3,000 of our money every month yeah, going out on the road. Yeah, that's so hard to figure that out because you've got tons of momentum. And we, we deal with this in marketing all the time where they'll quit advertising on something. And I'm like, yeah, but we've also spent, to the branding point, we spent a shit ton of money and effort branding you as the choice now everything has changed. The current of, of money isn't all stopped up and damned, right? right? It's finding little tributaries because that's what it does. So the auto industry is killing it. Yeah, not because they're amazing deals. It's because people aren't doing big trips to Italy that they had planned. So they're going to go buy a new truck or they're going to go buy an RV. There's different things. There's so many facets of how all that stuff works together you can't look at it and go, yeah, you saved $3,000. We're not going to travel anymore. I mean, you could, but you'd be stupid. Yeah, that's what I hope. Yeah, it, I mean, because it's I mean, like Anheuser, it's like, it's, you know, Budweiser has a name. It's not like, well, we won. We don't have to advertise anymore. Right. No, they still throw more money at advertising than anybody out there. So McDonald's, Coca-Cola, go look at all the market leads and all that stuff. Yep. They're constantly reminding people of the branding of who they are. And they don't, they don't have to price point anything. It's going to be interesting because I think I'm involved. I think I work with a company that may be one of those that does that. And it will be real interesting to see if, say, 2022, all of a sudden I'm back on the road 10 times more than I was before because they're like, holy shit, your well, numbers went down because we stopped traveling. What were you talking I about? I don't know. The, the guy, I'm trying to remember who you were talking about. His his guys are out beating the street while everybody else oh, is down. Yeah, the Josh Felt. I mean, yeah. he was I, he's going to be on here hopefully maybe next week we can get him on here. He's in town. So I'm I'm he's going to be a guest on here for sure and he he's going to come on and talk about grabbing market share during COVID and he's in an industry where a lot of people their companies shut their salespeople down, said, no, 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 we're not going out. We're not going to go out and knock on doors because that'll look bad if we're out in people's sales. You know, we don't want to be in their faces. We don't want to everyone stay home. So they locked their sales force down. Right. They took an advantage because they're, I think he said, the third or fourth size company. So they went after and they're taking market share from one and two right now because one and two's making their salespeople stay home and they're out knocking on doors and calling on people. And right now, these guys are hungry to, to see people, so they're like, "Well, yeah, come on in, let's talk." And now, some now of they're that, signing deals while these other guys are at home. Some yeah. of that is understanding who your audience is too. Who's yeah. your customer? Because if your customer is somebody that is part of the demographic, that's going to be like, "Why on earth are you out?" Like, right. part of that is understanding who it is that you're talking Correct. to. But at the end of the day, like the world hasn't stopped. There's still people building and creating and selling and doing things. I mean, you're going to see inventory dry up in a whole bunch of different areas because people quit making the one little part that you need to finish the thing. So you'll, I mean, you'll see that in the next, through the end of the year, because of a shortage of all kinds of little things from all kinds of different companies all over the world. But all that does is create an opportunity. Right. Supply Oppor and demand. The opportunities are still there. Yeah. It's just... Are you adaptable and able to capitalize on the opportunity right. when it presents itself? There's an aluminum can shortage. Right. And so when I go back and talked about, you know, the profitability, there's a lot of unprofitable business that goes on. Right. We have a, a lot of SKUs that were probably unprofitable for Anheuser-Busch. When, when you think about all the downtime they had to, to, to use on their, on their bottling lines. Sure. And now they said, you know what? There's an aluminum can shortage. 
So we're going to stop making certain products and we're going to make more of Bud and Bud Light. And we're going to get that on the shelf and make sure that's filled up. People are going to, people are going to buy it. Yep. They're going to drink it. Absolutely. And market share of those will go up. Yep. And now I've just built a bigger brand out of Bud and Bud Light for when this all ends. And maybe, you know, inevitably more SKUs will come out. And, and But now Bud and Bud Light are in a stronger position right. than they were well, previously. Well, it's the ebb and the flow of, and that's, again, it's being able to be adaptable not only in what you're doing, but in what you're perceiving, right? right. So it's ground floor. It's looking at it from a, a manufacturing standpoint, but also looking at it from 50,000 feet saying, well, you know what? Actually, we can leverage this to do this that does that, and this is good here. All this other stuff's still going to be great, but let's take care of that. Every company, in my opinion, at least once a year, you should go through a SWOT analysis. Oh, go yes. through what your strengths, weaknesses, the opportunities, and threats are. You know, we can, we can go through, and most companies can, oh, this is what I'm great at. This is my strength. This is what I'm weak at. Where people struggle is identifying and pinpointing what the opportunities are and what the threats are to their company. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've got to be able to do that. And so if you're not reviewing that regularly, you're missing out. Sometimes you don't even know what those opportunities are until they present themselves. There's opportunities that were not there six months ago because of COVID. So I'll give you a perfect example of this. So we're a marketing and advertising firm. We do work for a number of nonprofits. A lot of times we do pro bono work. We do one of those a year. Um, one of the, our, our clients that we have that is a pro bono. Uh, they call us and say, say pro bono. <laughs> they call us and it's literally the executive director in a parking lot going, oh, shit, what are we going to do? Because they're biggest fundraising event of the whole year is canceled because it's a gala and they're like uh can you guys help us and we're like um yes yes we can so we helped them orchestrate a virtual gala and it was incredibly successful and a whole bunch of other nonprofits watched and paid attention to it now suddenly we've had this opportunity that we just literally seized and went, yeah, let's figure this out and make it work and make it work well. And it, we executed very, very well. Now we're suddenly the experts in the market for doing virtual galas and virtual fundraising. It's not that it's rocket science. It's that we, and it's, it's the looking at it, figuring out how it works and then execution of it. So we've got two more that are coming up that, um, that are a done deal. And then two more that we're talking to people about opportunity that didn't exist six months ago but again the adaptability of our staff to go okay yeah we can do that it isn't it isn't that much different than this we just need to figure out this technology and make sure and then networking and talking to people that have that have done that stuff ironically enough churches are really really good at doing virtual stuff and streaming because they've been doing it for a while a ton of resources that you're like oh scratch your head Okay, so we utilized some of those resources and their expertise on it and then pivoted out of that. Worked out really, really well. Yeah. yeah. You know, in our, in our orchards, the, for instance, we're, our strength is obviously we, we are fantastic growers across the board. We've, our horticulturalist, Dane Craver, brilliant. Craver. 
Forever. He It's a great name for won, a horticulturist. He won Grower of the Year nationwide. And why? Because he sees things happening in the industry before others do. And he and I talk a lot about things. And one of our strengths is we are we're organic. We're very good organic growers. Right. We grow we've converted almost all of our farms over to organic farming. Because specifically in pears, there were a lot of, well, okay, SWOT analysis. What's a threat to us in the pears? Well, we had a lot of invasive insects. Mm-hmm. And it, it never seemed, however many chemicals we sprayed out there, didn't matter. We went from one problem to the next. Killed one bug, now we got a problem with another bug. Damn well, bugs. Well, let's take our strength. Let's see the threat, which is the insects, essentially, mm-hmm. destroying our crop annually. Okay, our strength is we're fantastic organic growers. So what's the opportunity here? The opportunity is let's convert all of our pears over and try to grow them organically. We're better off doing that than spinning our wheels and throwing all this money down the drain on chemicals. And what has happened? The pear market for for conventional has basically crashed. Really? This year, pear farmers are basically going out of business. They're going bankrupt. Not the organic farmers, because the pricing on organic pears is still pretty strong. Right. If we hadn't made the decision three years ago to convert all of our pears to organic, we would be bleeding money right now. But we're not, because we got out in front of it and said, you know what? The threat is too strong. We're gonna we're we're just gonna lose money on pears. We can see we can see the market trends coming. Right. So let's get everything converted to organic now. And we're one of the few people in the Royal Slope area over there where our orchards are that can grow pears and do it profitably. So is that organically, how much more is that in terms of a financial investment than doing it traditional way? Um, not much, quite frankly. It's just it's figuring it's, it out, it's, right? It's, you've got to have the knowledge. You've got to have people that are good. It takes more space, good. though, right? Like, I mean, does no. it, you, there's less okay. trees per acre, right? No. I can take the exact same acreage. I can just convert it. Okay, huh. it's a three-year. Were process. you here during this part of his podcast? Yeah, no, I I this heard that com- part, but not the or, organic. This is interesting, and I, I maybe for another podcast. But I watched a thing on organic <laughs> that was very that turned me very anti-organic. So it's interesting to hear you, and we probably could have this off-air conversation. But like one of the things they say is that there was, I mean, and you know, it's media, so it was true because it was on the internet. Uh, but. uh literally said you know if we converted the the like right now if we converted the whole world all the farms to organic the you would have like something like eight years the whole everyone would starve because they said that organic so much harder to grow that per acre there's so many less crops that you we wouldn't be able to supply the food for the united states we'd need to provide so basically this guy was anti-organic because he was like well these guys are just you know they're getting a premium price so they're doing it but we're actually supplying the food to the rest of the world and the people thinking like that are the people that are stuck in the old way of thinking right because yes yields per acre if i take the exact same acreage and i don't do anything to it and i convert it over to organic yes i'm gonna lose my yield per acre it's going to go down right but from a business perspective i'm going to make more off of my off of my fruit per acre than I would if I had had a higher yield but a lower price. Right, right. Want me to get you a crayon? 
So, I got. I'm following. I'm tracking. I'm not drinking whiskey now. I'm just drinking wine. So yes, the the yield is lower, but the price is higher. I come out ahead. Okay. Now, in terms of the whole world is going to starve, I call bullshit on that because the technology of farming is increasing. In, 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 almost exponentially. I mean, it, it's crazy how much the farming industry has changed and how much more food we're able to produce off oh, of the well, land. Yeah. The old style of farming and orchards, and I have I have a few blocks that are the old school orchards yeah. that are the trees yeah. are 25 feet apart. Right. And I've got 500 trees per acre. Now on my trellises, I get 1,300 trees per acre. The that's, apple crop in Washington more. is setting records every single year for production. <laughs> there are more apples than we know what to do with. So the technology is available. Yeah, how to grow them. So it was, I just remembered what it was. <laughs> yes, it, you know what I remember it was? It was a Penn and Teller bullshit, the show bullshit oh, yeah. they had on Showtime. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. They did a, a bullshit on organic is what they did. Oh. It was one of those. Anyways, it's interesting if you get the chance to go back. But I wonder how old it is, too, now that I think about it. So, like I said, technology's changed, right? Adaptability. You adapted to a different way to grow those, you know, like the trellis. I did, I did not know anything about until right now, did not know anything about these trellises and growing them trellises? on trellises. Yeah, trellises are brand new. They just came out. No, <laughs> no I know what trellises are. I just, in my mind, I still, when you talk about going to the orchards, I picture the fucking trees all laid out, you know, like yeah. orchard, right? Like yeah, a tree. Yeah, I have some like that. Some it, like but that. I'm like, but, but it makes sense where you're like, no, we put them on a trellis so and we do this. And they the, really look like a vine. I right, mean, that, right. They are saying. a tree. Yeah. It's not, that makes it's, more not sense. it's not a tree that's got a a, a one foot, two foot diameter trunk. Trunk, right. Th- this tree is bigger around as a beer can. Right. And it grows fifteen feet tall and I've got them spaced out every eighteen inches. Right. And they basically look like vines growing up a trellis. Espalier. <laughs> that's interesting. It's like an espalier tree. A French version. Speaking of vines, I'm going to put some more wine Way in my glass. Eat some vino. So well, I would be oh, curious, maybe. picking apart the why orchards were laid out the way that they were, right? Historically, because they haven't really changed until fairly recently. I would say over the last 15 or 20 so, years. Yeah. Um, so my family, I don't think you know this, my family immigrated from uh, Canada in the 30s, and my... Um, Great grandfather went to the bank and said, Hey, there's this orchard that you guys condemned. Our family will work it. And when it's profitable, we'll buy it for X amount of money. And the bank's like, mm, Okay. <laughs> so they took over a condemned orchard and had it in the family for like three generations. So, but one of the, the things of topping trees and orchards, right. that was one of the things that they had figured out a long time ago of. Hey, this would make this a lot more efficient. Right. <laughs> because you're going to, I mean, it's, it's, you're essentially kind of thinning the tree anyway, but you're making it way easier to harvest. You easy to do all those things. But it's fascinating to see the where things come from. Why, why was something done a certain way? It isn't necessarily broken. It just isn't necessarily efficient either. But why change it? And you can, I mean, you could point to that in all kinds of different fields of business of well we've always done it that way and the the logic of challenging that and saying yeah but but we can make it much more efficient 
Why would we not? The competitive nature of business now, I think, is is a bigger player in forcing businesses to become more efficient because they can't afford to not to. Because if they if they don't, if they don't figure out those efficiencies and get lean, they're going to go out of business. Right. And it's not, you, you hit on a very good point there, and it's not easy. No. Right. And up front, yes, sometimes it can be cost prohibitive up front. You've got to see the long picture. Long dollar. Say, yes, ding, ding, I'm going to spend a dollar now, but that dollar is going to make me $5 somewhere down the road. Right. And it might not be tomorrow, it might not be next year, but it's going to pay off in the end. you got to have faith in what you're doing. You know what I find really interesting? If you don't have faith in what you're doing in anything, right? you're going to fail. So Yeah. What I find interesting is, like, a couple people that I spend a lot of time with that I know well and that know numbers, you and Heather, you talk to people that know numbers, they're the ones that will tell you that, that will say, hey, you spend the money up front, it's the long dollar. You're going to, you know, like you talked to Heather about when we're, when we're looking at buying equipment or a trailer or a tool or anything. Well, this one tool is a little bit cheaper. We can just grab that. She's like, why? Just buy the one that is going to last us. So it goes with the rest of our set. You know, let's just, let's go get the DeWalt cordless angle grinder that we already have all the tools for. So yeah, but we can pick it up a $30 angle grinder real quick and just buzz this off. But no, let's just get the good one. Right. She understands the fact like we're going to invest now because we don't have to invest in it later kind of deal. You know, you, it's going to make us more money if we have a better tool or a bigger trailer or whatever it is. And it's funny how the people that you, I, I can think of people in my head that I won't name, uh, that I know for certain have, you know, buy the cheapest shit and they're always the one replacing it. And they're always bitching about it. And they're always, Oh, it doesn't make it. That's just too much money to spend up for. I, you know, I just, I don't know how people make their money on that. It's funny. The people that don't know numbers are the ones that actually are the cheap. Yeah, you want to go to them and say, uh, well, go look at your R and M expense. How much did that cheap grinder cost you? Now? Right. Right. Like how many times did you Which buy one? that cheap grinder? Right. <laughs> yeah. that, that's what I look at. Like we, we talked about it even back as far back as when I had fencing companies and you would, we would spend, people would freak the fuck out because we would spend a hundred dollars on a pair of clamshells, you know, on post hole digger, you know, the hand post hole diggers. We'd buy the most expensive one they had. And I am not shitty. Uh, it was sitting right there when yeah. I put this fence in. I, saw I have the same red handled clamshells that we bought for a hundred dollars when we could have bought some for 9.99 on the same shelf and we bought the you know but they last to this this long and they made us a lot of money because they freaking busted a lot of holes and then you watch guys around us like oh it's broke ours and now they got to get in their truck go into town buy another so one come back there's it right there right and it's like now you're like how much money did that cost you how much money in fuel how much money in time it's how much money is that just the expense of the the thing Right, right. It's the it's it's the same, it's the same thing with people, right? Yep. If you if you paid the premium to get the good person and then take care of them with a great culture, you don't have to train their replacement and then their replacement's replacement. That gets expensive super super fast. Yep. It isn't just in tools; it's in people. Spend the money to get good people that fit your culture, that fit what you're doing, that buy into the vision. Man, not only is it less expensive, you get better people. And a better product that's better for your, depending on what you're doing, better for your clients and customers. You grow your business exponentially by spending a little bit more on some of that stuff. You're, I mean, the long term of but it. But again, what is that? Again, going back to adapting. That's adapting to the fact that we have a very low 
unemployment rate. You have it very hard to find people. I know Stein, Stein's always looking for a CDL driver to drive, you know, right? Like, I mean, you guys are always looking for help. It's like everybody, every company is. We're sitting here talking about it. Heather and I were driving down last night. We're sitting here, spent the whole two-hour drive down talking about hiring a couple guys and we're like all right how do we want to do this do we want to you know how much do we want to spend what do we you know let's go over the top a little bit and let's get some guys that we can that are going to stay and you know it's like because because you know what you do have the option of paying them a little bit less money right but in today's world they'll just bounce for another 25 cents an hour to another construction company well it's finding the right people that understand so we have to adapt to today's world in the construction industry which is construction subs are god right now and if they have any skills at all we we have to treat them well. Like, you know, back in the day, you could mistreat a guy because there was a line of guys, right, that you right. could just grab them from. And so you're just like, ah, well, get the fuck out of here, and you pick up somebody else. Now we're adapting to an industry where, you know, and this goes back to me getting on my whole soapbox about not being a school guy, and, you know, there, we are in the trades hurting. There's a ton of kids out there with a sales degree and a marketing degree that can't fucking swing a hammer and know how to run a post hole digger where – they and they don't have a job and the guys that are actually look that could run a postal digger or have a CDL and could drive a beer truck could go out there and make fucking fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year instead of making thirty thousand at fucking Starbucks or as a, a waitress somewhere with a degree. And we're you know, we've adapted to where now, okay, we're gonna pay those guys a premium if right. they have the skills to do it. And just part of what we have to do in the construction industry anyways. I mean I know it's similar everywhere but we've we've got it all the time yeah and paying a premium for certain things it's hard for some people to conceptualize the lost revenue right that you lose because you tried to skimp and save a dollar somewhere else like jody said if you're turning people over all the time it's so expensive the training is so expensive and as a business owner your number one objective should be to drive top line growth how do I drive the absolute most revenue that I can drive? And if I got to spend a little more on expenses, so be it. It's going to get offset by having more right. top line growth. Just math. Well, the, here, let's go back to let me go back to the orchard analogy. Let me let's talk about the orchard. You talk about cutting that or that tree off, right? And taking three years. You can you can cut the tree off, and you can you know graph on another tree. In three years, you'll have fruit. It's not a lot different with employees. You can you can yeah. cut that employee off, but it's going to take you three years to grab another employee on there till it's producing fruit. And sometimes that's you know sometimes that's how it is. I mean, it, it's it, having you, vision. You, you get rid of as soon as you chop an employee. Yeah, you know, get ready. You're going to have to graft grow that employee one on again. Graft another one on and wait for it to produce fruit. And that's how I mean, especially in the, in the you know construction business, or even being in the specialty construction like we are with ICF. There's not a lot of kind of kids coming out. You know, they may even know how to frame, but they don't know how to build ICF. So when we train them, all of a sudden it's like, oh, they know how to build ICF. Okay, now this guy's efficient, and when I can not have to be there, right. and they're they're freaking doing, you know, they're doing their thing, and and Heather's not having to watch them all the time or babysit them because they're doing it. The, it's like, dude, I get them trained up, and they they can go out and do their own thing. They're producing money for us now. But if I have to, you know, that guy leaves or I fire him or he gets a quarter to an hour more somewhere, now I'm starting right back at fucking that stump, and I'm graphing on another one. That's how the I love the the orchard analogy and just the illustration of it. If, if you've ever seen them, and I you probably have, when they'll prune out a tree, 
And you're like, what did you do to the tree? It looks horrible. The reality is. I'm not growing trees. I'm growing fruit. We're growing fruit, yeah. (laughs) But understanding that in order to get the best yield of fruit, the tree has to be balanced. And you have to you have to prune it. You've got to thin it. You've got to do these things in order to to it's it's a bigger picture than just what the tree looks like. But for somebody that lacks the vision and they come out and they're like, "What the hell did you do to my trees?" Well, we pruned them. They look horrible. Well, they're gonna look awesome. Give later. it nine months. Yeah, they're gonna look awesome. But that but that's my point, right? It's all about the vision of saying, "Give it nine months." It's about the guys in the meeting that are saying, "Give this a year." guaranteed this seltzer thing it's kind of a big deal we need to position we need to have a strategy in place to be in that discussion and when when the consumer is standing at the at the cooler you damn well better be one of the choices that they're choosing from and the reality is that budweiser brand gives you an advantage that white claw doesn't have now they were first to market kind of like rollerblade was first to market right so there's you know First, you want to be first. But still, at the end of the day, bigger picture, an established brand will win. A lot of times first doesn't win. Uber wasn't the first. They weren't the first. There's the, there a company before Uber and Uber, first you know, recognized. they're not the first, you know, you're not the first Uber. There was another Uber before Uber. Uh, what was the Uber you know, before Uber? I can't remember. I've heard it's Gary V tells the story all the time because his, his buddy actually started Uber and that's. They they were it was another company that they basically spun off of that. There's a lot of guys. It's like going back to NASCAR. There, a lot of times you're best to be in the second position going into turn four because you can bump them, put them in the wall, and take the win. You know, and that's how a lot of business is. Rubbin's race. We're, we're that way. Our company with our ICF brand, we're not the first to market. We came in and did it better. We have the best block on the market, and I and even our competitors don't really argue that too much with us. We we scientifically are better, but like. We are better because our owner came in with a PhD in construction science and engineering and came in and said, oh, I see what's already being done. I'm going to do it better. The same deal. Budweiser has that vision right. and that ability to come in and say, oh, thanks, White Claw. We're going to we see that you actually That's proved a good this, idea. We're going to make it this concept out a little bit. We're going to go ahead and take this now and bump you, put you in the wall, and then we're going to pass you and take take the win. So great point. So who's the smartest kid on the block, right? Is it Budweiser that says, Let's see if that proof of concept actually holds some water. Guys, start working on it. Uh-huh. Okay. You guys, how you coming? Okay. Great. Oh, great. Let's wait in. So, I mean, they're watching it, and guaranteed there's some time frame markers where they're like, okay, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have something ready to go. But I guarantee they were watching it. Is this a thing or is it not a thing? Coca-Cola's been watching. Coca-Cola has just announced today they're coming out with a – Hard seltzer. Really? Yep. Next year. 2021. Wow. Coca-Cola is getting into the alcohol business. In the booze game. That's interesting. Yeah. Huh. Mm. I'd like to be a fly on that wall. <laughs> Listening to those discussions. That's interesting because they are, I mean, they are the. If they ever get a collaboration between Seagram's VO and Diet Pepsi, I am going to lose my shit. <laughs> We'll never see you again. I am going to be the happiest alcoholic you've ever met in your life. Just canned VO and Diet Coke. Oh, my God. Or Diet Pepsi. I would be st- I would be stoked. I can tell. But oh, look I'm at kind of excited just thinking about it. <laughs> I know. It's Think never going to happen. I'm just excited. Adaptability. Yeah. Right. Coca-Cola 
coming out Adapting. with a coming out with a seltzer. It's not going to be long. It's a natural fit. They're going to be coming out with some sort of alcoholic soda mix mm-hmm. at some point. Why would yeah. they not? Yeah. Hi. Well, because um, everything, and that's the thing. Everyone says Cokes, right? So, like, they could come out with rum and Coke. Right. It's, it's, and what's great about that is if you're the rum company, nobody names a rum. Every, well, I guess there's a few, but like to a point, but like everyone says Coke, right? right? Like I, I don't, I like, I drink Diet Pepsi. So I drink my whiskey with Diet Pepsi. But when I go to a bar, what I order, take a crown and diet or crown of Coke or like a, you know, crown, rum and Coke, Jack and Coke, a Jack and Coke. Like I say yeah. Coke, even though I don't drink Coke at home, I drink Diet Pepsi at home, but I know most bars carry Coke Cola. So I order it by name. You know, that's the kind of thing. So it's a smart play by them because it's probably going to come out that way. It's probably going to be a Jack and Coke. I would 100% put my money in that. Yeah. You bet. It's a great Why idea. They're not? branding themselves. But that, I mean, that goes back to the idea of you're talking about all these the pivots and, and being adaptable, and it's throwing some of those ideas against the wall and saying, why would we not? If that's what people are doing in the bars, why would we not package that stuff? And here's the thing. COVID changes the whole conversation because they're like, well, people aren't in the bars because the bars are closed. Then why are Let's we not packaging that shit and putting it in the store for people to take home? Let's bring why the bar to them. If you've got the, if you've, well, there's how many line changes? A bazillion of them. Let's figure that out. What do we need to do to, to get that done? Again, it goes from an idea into a, le- a legitimate conversation. But COVID is the X factor in that whole thing that suddenly, when I don't have access to go to the bar to get my drink. I just thought about something, Rusty. I haven't asked you. Is what what's so the co what's the COVID effect been on Anheuser Busch? Because like it's funny you hear this like obviously bars are closed, which is a big part of your business, right? And selling kegs, but there's also been a lot of talk that there's a lot more drinking going on at home. It's been kind of one of the negatives of COVID. Everyone's saying, oh, more people are drinking more at home. What's your sales show? Well, the alcohol industry has not suffered. <laughs> so basically, you went from kegs to cans. That was well put. Our volume. <laughs> Again, it's an opportunity that's presented itself. Our volume is up. <laughs> Our profitability is up because we had, had had to streamline some of our operations, and we didn't have all these stops at these bars where I dropped off two right. cases, right. maybe a keg. That's an unprofitable stop. Sure. Now I have to be there. Oh, okay. I, my product, but now that now that they're closed, I've right. I've now identified these stops that have been completely unprofitable for us. So what do we do? Well, we changed our delivery service to you. Maybe you're not twice a week. Maybe you're once a week. Maybe you're once every other week. Maybe I don't send my salesman in to see you as often. I go ahead and give you a call on the telephone. <laughs> What's the threshold? Or now we've developed a retailer portal. They can go in and <laughs> basically order their own. That's exactly where I was going. And we focus all of our energy now right. on the big, big accounts big yeah. that really are profitable for right. us. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you look at restaurant supply. Like restaurant supply is a, is a big one where ma- well, a lot of people don't realize a majority of restaurants go pick up their own food. Like they go pick up their own shit. Like they're they're going to cash and carry. They're going to you know they're going and picking it up. So I mean I think that's you know maybe more the route you go. They're they're swinging in and they're coming in and picking up their own shit if they're too small. You know you got to reach the threshold. Well, yeah, but. find the threshold. What what's profitable and what's what's not. And there's I mean again it's it's just math. Find the formula. Figure it out. Business. Yep. 
So, Rustro, we're going to wrap this up, but I do, we're going to go back to something we haven't done in a little while, probably since the Blaz, I think, episode, but I kind of want to do this with Rustro because I know he's a good dad, Mr. Dad, coach guy. We like to try to bring a little bit of family into this. I know you've got two awesome kids and you coach and you do all that stuff with them. So from this episode, for people listening that, you know, they're wanting to get a little uh, dad or coach time out of this or get better as, as that, what do you say adaptability-wise? Give us a couple things that you would advice you would give your young kids to be adaptable at their ages and, and how they could take what we're talking about here and make that good in their life. What would you tell them, coach, dad? Well, I would say... You, again, you never know what you're going to run up against. Whether, you know, it's really easy for everyone to operate in something they're comfortable with, in an environment they're comfortable with, with people that they're comfortable with. It's a lot harder to figure out how to get along with people, how to do business with people that, you know, maybe you don't like them. But do math with some of the people yeah, you don't you want know, to do math with? You don't, you don't have to like everybody to get along with them and reach an outcome that's probably beneficial to both of you. Right. And so that's the skill that I try to pass along to my kids, you know, and that is, first of all, I mean, treat everybody with respect because – Everybody deserves it. Everybody's dealing with their own bullshit, right? Mm. So just really be adaptable to a bunch of different types of personalities. That's the number one skill that doesn't get taught in school, Yeah, in my opinion. I had, you know, I I have kids that call on me, you know, fundraisers from Boise State or whatever, and and they've asked me, oh, my gosh, how did you become successful in your career you know, what did you do with this? And I said, you know, the reason I became successful had nothing to do with what I learned in school. What made me successful was being able to adapt and deal with a bunch of different personality types because everybody's different and you got to figure out how to get the best out of everybody and use that. A little to synergy, baby. little synergy. Exactly. So. I like that's good advice. Love it. I like that. All right. Boys and girls, it's been real. It's been real fun. Thank you, Rustro. Appreciate you coming it's on, It's been a man. pleasure. Thank you. Did you bring a Killed cooler it. full of... Uh, I brought a cooler of samples. Yeah. I got all kinds of stuff. Time to hit the samples. That's how you know we're big time. We get a spike. I want that alcoholic coffee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be up all night. Hopped up and drunk. That's a great combination. So, yeah. Heather's going to hate it. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe not. All right. Till next time, guys. We appreciate you. And, uh, again, hit us up at Havoc Partners on all our social medias. Let us know what we're doing right. Let us know what we're doing wrong. We'll see you later. Night-night.